again, I want to be hopefully one of the last people to say to you guys, Merry Christmas. Hope you guys are having a really, really amazing time. Time blessed with family, exactly where you are. What we want to do uh, for the next few minutes that we're together is I actually have a few thoughts that I want to share with us regarding this Christmas story, kind of in a vein that our church has been in over the past uh, few weeks. We've been talking about this idea of Emmanuel, God being with us. And with God being with us, what are the repercussions of that? What does that mean for us? We've talked about a few different things, talking about how God is here in the area of he is bringing joy to us. God has brought hope to us. God's brought mercy to us. And here in this text, what I want to speak about is the last thing that the Lord brings to us in Emmanuel. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Now I just want to read a couple of verses for us on this Christmas Eve. It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, <clears throat> And she will bear a son, being Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a text that we're probably all a little bit familiar with, but I believe if we truly let it hit our hearts, we're going to take it in an entirely new way. I want to speak about three things for us this evening. One, that he's pursuing you. Two, that he's with you. And three, that he's here. I want to title this message just for the next few minutes that we're together. He is here. Would you pray with me for a minute? Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, we're acknowledging your presence in this place, your love towards us. God, your unending, relentless love. We thank you, Lord. We acknowledge Advent. You are coming to us. Lord, I'm asking that in this moment our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, our hearts would understand what you want to speak to us. Lord, if you're not glorified in any other place, be glorified in this place. Lord, and if you're not glorified in any other heart, be glorified in this heart. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 Switching gears here a little bit, but I really believe that there's some really, really good news that the Holy Spirit wants to deliver to you this evening. He is here. This, this concept that we've been talking about for the past few weeks as a church that I have really understood to mean that if Jesus is here, then everything can change. Truly, if he's here, then everything can change. And as I've been thinking about Emmanuel, which literally translates to me and Matthew teaches us that God is with us, it tells me something about God that he is pursuing you. Why? Because our God is a God of deep pursuit. It's who he is, it's what he does, it's what he's always done. And I think about this concept of pursuit and the question that kind of raised my head is like, what practically does that look like in our lives? And I thought back to a time in my life, which was not the best time, but it was the maybe one year that I played high school football. 
And this wasn't a good year. That's why I became an actor. But it was one year that I played high school football. And as I was playing, I remember I was in the game and I was lined up against one of my really, really good friends that I played with when I was younger. And as he was across the line from me, he was playing cornerback, I was playing receiver. They were crushing us. And as they were crushing us, we were playing this game. I did this wheel route. As I did the wheel route, I was going past. I burned him. The safety went somewhere else. And I was like, yo, I am open. This is it. But me and my boy were talking trash the entire game. We're talking back and forth. Man, I'm going to beat you. We weren't going to beat him. But I'm just talking trash, right? I'm going to beat you, man. I'm going to smoke you, all this type of stuff. As soon as I hit this wheel route and I go beyond my friend, what happens is I have green grass in front of me. My quarterback throws the ball. I catch it in stride. And all I see, I'm at like the 30-yard line. And all I see in front of me is green grass in the end zone. I'm sprinting towards the end zone. We're not going to win, but it was going to make me feel good. I was sprinting towards the end zone. And as I'm about to go, I just feel his presence behind me. And I know he bit, but I'm not going to look back, right? Because you're like, no, no, no. Like he's like, I'm 20, like I'm at the 30. He was probably at the 50. All I got to do is get to the end zone. So I'm sprinting. I am running. I'm booking it. And then you hear the crowd. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever been like a, a college track meet or a football game when somebody's being chased down? And you hear the crowd, and they're like, oh, and I'm like, no. So I'm running even faster, right? And I'm like, I feel him. He's on my tail. He's right here. And so I'm sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. All of a sudden, as I'm about to get to the end zone, I get to like the 10-yard line. I'm like, oh, it's golden. I'm good. I get to the 10, and I, I feel him. And all of a sudden, he goes at my legs, gets my legs, five-yard line. I stop at the two. I know. <laughs> No touchdown. Everybody's like, oh, oh my, it's like some people are like, my teammates are like, oh man, you're good. I can't even, I know my dad's in the sense. I can't even look at my dad. He's going to be like, <sighs> right, like so upset. Like that was your chance. And I get up, I look at my boy. I'm like, man, really? Like we weren't even going to win. Like you could have just let me add the touchdown. And he's like, man, I got to get you. Long story short, he ends up in the NFL. So I don't even feel bad because it's not that I'm slow. He's just fast. All right. That's the moral of the story. Don't take it as I'm not an athlete. I'm an athlete. He's just a better athlete. <laughs> but think about what it looks like to be pursued. And in that moment, I'm like, man, no matter what I could do, I was sprinting as hard as I could, going in a direction. And I knew at one point that I was going to get caught, that somebody was on my tail, that somebody was going to catch me. And in the same way, I believe that the Lord is pursuing you tonight that you've been going one way. You might think it's green grass and open fields. You might even think that it's good or it's bad, but in one way or another, I want to be the one to tell you this Christmas Eve that God is a God of deep pursuit and he is chasing after you. He wants to catch you. You see, from the beginning, God has always been a God of deep pursuit. You find Adam and Eve in the garden. As soon as they were in the garden, one of the things about them is that they uh, sinned against God and then God came looking for them. You find even in the prophets that God was looking for Israel through his prophets. You find in the law that God is trying to help pursue the Israelites and all of his people in the law. It's miracles and deliverance and every act that God is taking in the scriptures is one of pursuit of us. And as God is pursuing us, I realize that the ultimate pursuit that we find really culminates in the person of Jesus. That Jesus left perfect relationship with the Father in heaven. And he chose to say no to that 
so that he could say yes to you. You see, God could have helped us and pursued us any way that he wanted to. And the way that the Lord chose to pursue you, the way that Jesus chose to come to you, wasn't through more prophets. It wasn't through another law. It wasn't through a book. It wasn't just through a miracle. But the Lord chose to pursue you in this way. As he says, I am going to myself pursue my creation because I am a God of deep pursuit. I'm not going to send another prophet, another law, another miracle, another moment. I'm going to send myself. Why? Because God is not a God who just shouts his love from heaven. He is a God who shows his love on earth and he shows his love towards you in this way that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He pursued you. He left his throne in heaven in perfect relationship with the father so that he could have you. You see, if Jesus is here, then everything can change. The word that, um, theologians use for this moment of God being with us is the incarnation. It's just this word that means that God became man. And the incarnation, if not anything else, is God pursuing man. Maybe you've spent your whole life pursuing God. You grew up in church, maybe like me, and that's just kind of the way that you did things. Or maybe you spent a little bit of your life pursuing God. You maybe met him later in your life. Or maybe you're sitting in this room and this is the way that you are practically pursuing God right now. And I'll say all of those things are great and God is happy that you're doing that. He honors that. God even wants you to do that. But I want to tell you some good news today. That the story of the scriptures and today of all days is a reminder that the Bible and the story of Jesus, which is really our story, is all about God pursuing you, not just you pursuing him. He's a God of deep pursuit. See, if anything, it would be about us pursuing God, failing, and then him coming to us anyway. That's typically the story in the Bible, is that we sometimes, in the best of ourselves, tried to pursue him, we failed in pursuing him, and then he still graciously pursues us. But the incarnation is a tangible example of how God is pursuing you. It's commitment shown through love. And this action actually is primarily and practically God showing uh, uh, um, his commitment to you and saying that now the incarnation, God coming to us, it completely flies in the face of you striving to get to him. That's canceled out. It doesn't matter. That's not the way by which you get to God anymore. And Augustine of Hippo, one of the amazing church fathers, said this as he spoke about what it means for God to be like us in the incarnation. He says, man's maker was made man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain might thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey. The truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood that the strength might grow weak and the healer might be wounded that life may die. He's pursuing you. 
And what this teaches me is that God is a God who can sympathize with you. He didn't just say, I will be kind of like a man. I will be man, 100% man, 100% God, tried in every way that we were, but failed not once. And the reason why he did this is because he knew that we couldn't get to him and he couldn't turn a blind eye to sin because he is a just God. And he didn't want to punish you because he's a merciful God. And he wouldn't want to leave you alone because he's a gracious God. And some of us are just confused with our relationship with God, thinking that my relationship with God starts with me pursuing him. When in all actuality, the scripture is an entire story that it is not you who first pursue God, but God who first pursues you. The first question that God asks man, Adam and Eve have sinned. He says, where are you? Not because he didn't know, but because they didn't know. And then how he comes down and he walks with them. He searches for them and he finds them. And the strength of our pursuit of him actually comes from his pursuit of us. See, this church, Grace Covenant Church, is not a church of perfectly religious, church-going, excellently moral people. If that is your perception of church, that's not what it is. Not because we aren't moral or we don't go to church or we don't believe that the scriptures teach us how we ought to live. But because our story, if, we, if you are part of Grace Covenant Church, is not a story of me being good enough for God. This church is filled with people who weren't good enough for God. It's filled with people who were caught by God. God pursued us. He chased us down and we've experienced his goodness and now our lives are changed forever. I've been in this church for a really long time, 27 years. And I want to say this church is not a church where it's like a country club, social club, do this so that you can be welcome, invited, and you can have a place here. But it is a place full of people who have been deeply and relentlessly pursued by God and he caught us and our lives have now been changed forever. He's a God who pursues us and he's a God who's with us. He's with you. The good news of this season is that God is with you. Matthew teaches us in this story and in his gospel that Matthew's focus, just like our focus as a church, has been for the past uh, four weeks, Emmanuel, God with us, he is here. It's been our focus, and it's been Matthew's same focus as he wrote the gospel of Matthew. The gospel of Matthew is um, one of the gospels, one of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All stories telling the same story, but from different perspectives. Matthew starts his gospel with Emmanuel, God with us, the story in the scripture that we just read. And Matthew also ends his gospel with Emmanuel, God with us. Because in Matthew chapter 28, what we find, one of the last things that Jesus does is with his best friends. He's risen from the dead. He's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he looks at his best friends and he says, Now go, the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And listen, Matthew ends with this, And therefore I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew starts his gospel with God with us, and he ends his gospel with God with us. 
Why? Because we weren't always with God. If we come into this thinking that, oh, this isn't such good news because why does this really matter? Like God is with me. Well, let me tell you something. God was not always with us. There was a point where we were all far away from God and we couldn't experience the presence or the nearness or the complete goodness of God. Why? Because God had a family. That family essentially was Israel. God shows a people, a man, Abraham, by which the promise would come through. And that man became a nation, the nation of Israel. He made a covenant with those people and said, you're my people, I'm your God. You have special access to me, I have special access to you. They had a, essentially a family. God defines himself in the scriptures as a father. And because he had a chosen people, that means that some other people didn't have that same access to God. Specifically in the Old Testament, there was this um, structure in this way to worship God. And it was found in the temple. Now, the temple, you could kind of think of like church, but it wasn't really church. It was far more holy than that. The temple was um, the place where the presence of God was. That was it. The presence of God was actually in a spot. And when they built this temple, God designed it so that we would worship him in a certain way. And that means that there were certain ways where God didn't want to be worshipped. He said, this temple is the right way. It's the primary way by which I'm going to be worshipped. Now, what that means is that in the Old Testament, there was a way to worship God that was just by his people. But the way to worship God meant that you had to be in a specific place. You had to be a specific person. And you had to do it a specific way. You see, you had to be in a specific place. In order to experience the tangible, actual presence of God, you had to be in Israel. And not just in Israel, but you had to be in Jerusalem. And not just in Jerusalem, but you also had to be in the temple. And not just in the temple, but you had to be in this place in the inner temple called the Holy of Holies. You had to be in a certain place. And you had to be a certain person. You had to be a Jew. But not just any Jew, you had to be a Levite. And not just any Levite, but you had to be a priest. And not just any priest, you had to be the high priest. You had to be a certain person. And you had to come in a certain way. You had to come on a certain day. And not just any day, but you had to come a certain way, dressed in certain clothes. And you had to say certain words. And you had to come a certain type of way. There was a specific process in which you had to approach God. And that was how you got him. And if you weren't that person in that place, in that way, you could not experience the presence of God. You were far, far, far away. And if you're not Jewish, there was even a place called the court of the Gentiles, which was far, far, far away from the presence of God. And then Jesus came and he died on the cross and it said that he tore the veil in the dividing wall of hostility. And now anybody has access to God. You don't have to be a certain person in a certain place in a certain way to approach the presence of God. But because of what Jesus did for us now and only because of what Jesus did for us, we can be with God and God is now with us. 
Because of what he did, the beautiful thing, if Jesus is here, then everything can change because Jesus made a way for us to be with God. John 1.14 teaches that the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen him as the glory of God, the only glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. He dwelt among us. What does that tell me? Practically, it just teaches me that God wants communion with you. And communion is just this fancy word to say that God wants to be with you. He loves you so much. He would do anything to be with you. One of my favorite terms in the scriptures for us in our relationship with God is the bride of Christ. That's what he calls the church that we are his bride. That's how much he loves us. He uses that intimate language that I love you so much, I'm gonna use the most intimate earthly relationship that you can comprehend as an allegory for my relationship with you. You're my bride. And why this is so interesting and so beautiful is because this uh, theme is seen in the New Testament, but it's alluded to in the Old Testament. You find in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and even New Testament and Revelation, this idea, this concept of the bride and the bridegroom. And the reason why this matters is because God wants such a close relationship with you, but we often break that relationship through sin. And sin is the thing that separates us from God. Now, sometimes we think of sin as like, oh, those are the rules that I can't do or else God's going to be mad at me. God's going to push me away. God's going to cast me out. And if I do the bad things, God's mad and he gets rid of me. And if I do the good things, then God's happy and then God brings me close. But God does not see sin simply as breaking his rules. More so, he sees it as breaking covenant. You're his bride. And when we sin... Because we're his bride, he doesn't simply see our abandonment of his rules or sin as seceding from a kingdom, as if he is this faraway God, ruler, king in the sky who doesn't really care, but he sees it as unfaithfulness to their love. Because the word that the Old Testament uses for sin often is this word adultery. And so when we sin against God, it's not seceding from a kingdom, it's being unfaithful to our love. He says, I don't want you to be unfaithful. I don't want you to do that. And we see that now, God, it's not just me breaking a rule, I'm breaking covenant with you. Because you want communion with me. See, God wants to be with you. We can learn a lot from the first few pages of the Bible. That God made the heavens and the earth and in the first six days he created everything that we see. The seventh day he rested. He created the mountains and the seas, the birds and, and, and the fishes. He created the animals and the plants and everything and grass and everything we can comprehend and science and the solar system and the galaxy. And he said that all of those things are good. And then he creates man and woman. And he says that those things are very good. That we, you, to God, are very good. God looks at Mount Everest. He's not impressed with Mount Everest. Mount Everest doesn't wow God. You do. 
God looks at the oceans and how vast they are, and we don't even understand what's even in the ocean. And God doesn't look at the oceans, and he's not wowed by them. He's wowed by you. God isn't wowed by the sun and how big and powerful it is and how it sustains life on this planet by itself. He's wowed by you. God isn't wowed by the earth or by the solar system, by gravity, by science, by anything that we can conjure up or anything that he made before us. He is wowed by you. And you know why he's wowed by you? It's because he said he made you special. You were made in his image, not the sun. You were made in his image, not Mount Everest. You were made in his image, not the oceans. And the most impressive thing that you can see and the most impressive piece of art and all of the animals and all of the intricacies of the solar system. And if it was one degree off, then everything would be wrong. No, he's wowed not by those things, but by you. And he says, I want communion with you. I love you. I'm valuing you. And it says in Isaiah chapter 43, this beautiful passage, it says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because, listen to this, you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, and I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. You see, value is based on what you would give up to get something. And Jesus found you so valuable that he gave up himself to get you. He said, you're the prize of my possession. You're the apple of my eye. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want communion with you. You can have everything else. I'll give my life if I could just have you. And this doesn't make us prideful. It's not saying, yeah. I'm the most important thing ever. No, I'm saying, God, who am I that you're mindful of me? Me? My sinful self? Like the, I, I mess up all the time. I haven't done the right things. I don't give the right way. I don't treat people the right way. I do all the things I don't want to do when I don't. I do the things that I don't want to do. Me? He said, yeah, you. Because you're precious to me and honored in my sight. I would give up Egypt for you. I love you. He wants to be with you. Yes. He's pursuing you. He's with you. And he's here. Emmanuel, God with us. Psalm chapter 139, verse 7 through 10, as I close, is this beautiful scripture that speaks about Emmanuel, God with us. Not in word, but in this way. David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the place of the dead or hell, then you're there. If I take wings and I fly to the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, see, even still there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. The psalmist is saying, God, if I go to the highest place and I get everything I've ever dreamed of, you're there. And if I go to the lowest place and I don't even want to be associated with you and I curse your name, you're there. And if I grow wings and I go as farthest place that I could ever be, you're there. Which simply teaches me that if God is everywhere, 
then God is here. God is not just there. And we need a theology, a right understanding of God being here. Because if God is only there in the joy, we won't see him here in the sorrow. If God is only there in the function, we won't see him or search for him in the dysfunction. If God's only there when my marriage is perfect, we won't even look for him in the marriage that we have right now that needs his touch. If God is only there when I'm done with my addiction, when I get all of my morality straight in order, when I go to church every week, and when I've been on four missions trips and can quote half of the New Testament, then we're never going to look for him here. But if God is everywhere, then that means that God is here. And if God is here, if Jesus is here, then everything can change. God is not just there where you want to be. He's here exactly where you are. When everything's gone wrong. When you're trying to figure out what life's supposed to look like. When you're lost beyond measure and you've gone and tried everything else. That God is saying, I'm here. I've always been here. I'll always be here. And if he's here, then hope is here. If he's here, then joy is here. If he's here, then mercy is here. See, because the scriptures do not define Jesus as a hope. He's the hope. The scriptures do not define Jesus as a way. He's the way. He's not a joy. He's not a purpose. He's not a truth. He's the. I would offer you something else if it worked, but it doesn't. I would hold out for you something else if it worked, but it doesn't. The only thing, the only person, the only way and truth and life that will give you what your soul has been searching for is not found in anything else over there. It's found here. Not because I'm here, not because you're in church, not because you're watching online, but because he is here. He showed it to us in the incarnation. He showed it to us in the garden. He showed it to us in the cross. And he's showing it to you right now by the spoken word. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to touch some of your hearts and say, I'm not over there. I'm right here. I'm where you've always been. I've never left you and I've never forsaken you. And some of us have this idea that God will treat me the way that people treat me. As in, if he gets close, he's going to see exactly who I am. He's going to see the dirty parts and the broken parts and the things that I don't like and I can't change. But let me tell you something, that the things that push away people actually pull in God. He is not a God who is actually scared of your issues. He's drawn towards them. He's not repelled by your dysfunction. He's attracted to it. That's the place where he specializes in. And he's saying, if you would come to me and realize I've been here all along, you would realize that everything can change. God does not come to these moments with broken people in spite of what we've done. Simply. God comes to you in your brokenness because of it. 
Some of us think, well, maybe he just ignores it. Maybe, no, no, no. He's drawn to your brokenness. He doesn't see it as a deterrent or something gross, something to get rid of. He sees you as somebody to love. And when you understand that the Lord sees you in all of your brokenness and that does not repel him, but it draws him in, our response then is, God, you've always been with me. Now I want to be with you. I don't want to just play church games. I don't want to just like act like a Christian. I don't want to just call myself a Christian in name. I want to, I want to know you. I want communion with you. And if you love me this much, if you're right here and you're right here with me, you're drawn to these places, to my despair and my grief and my loneliness and my hopelessness, then Lord, I'm saying, I'm drawn to you. I want to be with you. See, he's a God who pursues you. He's a God who's with you. He's a God who's right here. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, God, we're thankful that you yourself are here. You're not over there when we feel like we've gotten things together and we've made our, our, our perfect life that now we can add you onto it. But Lord Jesus, you're here. And Lord, if you're here, then everything can change. This day, is a day that some people in this room are going to say to Jesus, I know you've been with me, but now I want to be with you. And I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. You're sitting in this room and you're watching online and you're saying, man, I'm, I have played those church games. I have gotten in that rhythm. I have covered up with religion. But I don't want to anymore. I want to be with him. With the one who finds me so valuable that he gave his only son for me. And he said, whosoever believes in me will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That whosoever means you. If you're saying me, I'm saying yes, you. Whosoever might believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life.